0: You know, enlightenment for me is uh, the quicker that you make the shift from fear to love. So, you know, some circumstance comes up that makes you unhappy. You know, this didn't turn out the way it should have or the way I wanted or I wasn't treated. You know, now you're upset. Right. And then your brain is making up a story, a narrative about it. Right. And it's the same old It's a narrative of misery. And you're almost halfway to being completely seduced by it, right? And then you, you catch it. Awareness, by being open to the feeling, you catch it. You catch it from going further and then you shift it. And so maybe you shift, it takes you three days to shift it. Maybe it takes you three months. It used to take me a year to shift it. So okay. you get it down to three months. Then you get it down to three weeks. Then you get it down to three days. Then you get it down to three seconds. And if you get it down to 0.3 seconds, You're you're totally enlightened. But all the way coming down, bringing it down, you are giving yourself the experience of your higher self.
1: Welcome to A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Wong. This podcast is dedicated to lighting the way towards greater inner peace and purpose. My own journey has taken me from a decade-long corporate finance career to following my own path as a purpose coach. I help people move from an unfulfilling career to a meaningful and purpose-driven career in life. Now let's dive into today's show. Hello, and welcome to this episode of A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Huang. And today's episode, our guest is Don Joseph Goey. Don is the managing partner of Pro Attitude, a human performance firm focused on ending work stress. He is also the executive director of the Center for Spiritual Exchange, which is the official archive for all the works of Anthony DeMello. He previously managed the Department of Psychiatry at Stanford University Medical School and is the former director of the International Center for Attitudinal Healing. He is the author of the book, The End of Stress, Four Steps to Rewire Your Brain. I just wanna say before we get started, is that it's a real honor to be able to have these incredible conversations with people like Don. And I, I feel so privileged because I get to really firsthand experience, like diving in and, and being able to ask any questions that I want from someone that's so incredibly knowledgeable and then be able to share it with all of you. And it's, you know, it's a real labor of love for me. But in this episode that you're about to hear, Don shares some so much incredible knowledge, and he really goes in to giving you actionable steps as to how we can help ourselves really end our stress. And I love some of the things, and I hope that you'll take some of those little pieces of wisdom that he shares and, and the action steps that he offers and bring them into your life, because I feel like it is really profound uh, what he shares in this episode. And I love how he makes it so that it is available to literally anyone. And that is something he says towards the end of the episode. And I I think that is so important to remember that. like We all have the opportunity to end our stress or at least significantly reduce it. And so some of the things that we talk about in this episode alongside what I just shared is is really thinking about stress as like a spiritual crisis. This thing that is really causing us so much great so much unhappiness and misery and how you know we're really in this kind of fear response and or we're constantly in fear for our own kind of well-being and that is what is creating the stress response. And so it's all of these stories and misconceptions that we're creating for ourselves that are really causing us a great deal of suffering. And he shares a lot around awareness and how awareness is really that, that starting point of our ability to rewire our brains and re, really connect to what is, what is causing our suffering and how can we really find greater joy and greater happiness and greater fulfillment for ourselves in the process of really connecting to our own emotions, our own stories, and our our own lives. And Don really shares so much of his own story that really is inspiring for all of us to be able to take a step back and be able to reduce a little bit of the stress that we've been feeling. And so I hope you enjoy this episode. I think Don shares so much amazing wisdom that you really can bring into your own life, even starting today after listening to this episode. And so we're going to get into that in a second. There's a few things that I want to share with all of you listening today. Uh, So one thing is that I actually have set up uh, on my website a place where if you feel so inclined that you are able to donate to the podcast. So if you've really been enjoying the episodes that you've been hearing here, um I invite you to go to my website. It's Jessica Huang Coaching and my last name is H W A N G. So jessicahuangcoaching.com and there if you go to the podcast page, there's a link there to donate to the podcast. And if you feel so inclined, it would mean a lot to me. You know, it's it's been a real solo effort over here. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So um, any bit is really greatly appreciated. Um, Two other things I I wanna share is one is that I I don't really promote the things I have going on. So I wanna share a little bit of that with you. Uh, One of which is, if you are ever interested in trying out Dharma Yoga, I have obviously a lot of Dharma Yogis who uh, stop in on the podcast. But if you would like to experience it yourself, I welcome you um, to join me for my class, which is on Sundays noon, and um, and message me on Instagram, and you can come as my guest. I would so love that. Um, my classes are at the Dharma Yoga Center on 24th and 6th in Manhattan, and so if you are if you live in New York or you're passing through. I would absolutely love to have you in class and share with you the incredible practice of Dharma Yoga. And the second thing is that if you are someone who is interested in exploring, finding more purpose and peace in your life, or if you're really trying to sort out what is that next step for you and you feel like there's a million options, you don't know where to begin, um, I invite you to jump on a discovery call with me and and. See if coaching could be beneficial for you in your life and exploring um, how you can find more of peace and purpose in your life. So again, that's at my website, JessicaHuangCoaching.com. Those are the announcements. And, you know, I really turned my whole life around, made it very focused on purpose. You know, that's why I've kind of been shifting gears in, in the podcast to really focus on purpose. And that's really what my coaching is all about, because I think that it's, you know, it's so important and and being able to find our way in this wild world that we're living in and being able to find that peace and, and meaning in, in our lives is so important. And so, that's really why I do so much of what I do. And so I, I hope that you've been enjoying the show, that it is, it is helping you in your own path. And that's why I offer all of this to you. So I hope to connect with you one day. And that's what I got right now. So thank you so much for listening. And now we will dive into my conversation with Don Joseph Goey. Thank you so much for joining me today, Don. Welcome to the show.
0: Uh, My pleasure. Thank you.
1: So I want to get started with this idea of, you know, you talk about ending the end of stress and, you know, stress is definitely something that we all experience and something that was kind of brought to my attention when I was, um, when we were starting to have this conversation is this idea of stress being a spiritual crisis. So I would love to start there. Can you talk a little bit about that idea?
0: Yeah, no problem. You know when you we talk about stress, we're talking about a, an emotional reaction that uh, has to do with anxiety. Um and the anxiety may uh most often is generated by the fear of failing or afraid of failing. And um you know in our culture, we've also been shame uh, programmed. They did this study, for example, in uh, in Europe, where they they actually did a survey of 900,000 people in Europe to find out what the impact of advertising was on, on people emotionally. And it took them a long time, as you can imagine, to do a survey of 900,000 people. And when they finally compiled all the data and analyzed it, it came down to one thing that that advertising did to people. And it was, it made them unhappy. Because the message that people are constantly being bombarded with from advertising is that you're not enough, you know? You don't have enough hair, you better get our bald, you know, our anti-balding treatment. Or you need a spa, you need to go to a spa or get on a or one of our cruise lines. Or, or you need to buy our makeup. Or you, even worse, you need to smoke our cigarettes or drink our alcohol, and then you'll be happy. And then you'll get that girl or boy that you've been uh, seeking, or then you will be able to kill it. There was one commercialized washing. The guy comes back from a meeting, and they said, "How did you do it?" And he said, "I killed it." And so they pour him a bottle of bur- they pour him a glass of bourbon. And so we're we're shame based. We live in a shame based culture, and it shames us into this this worry that we're not good enough, and ingrains us with this fear of failing. And that wires into our brain and that amplifies a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is the brain sphere center, you know, anything that deals with fight, flight, or freeze is activated from that part of the brain and it becomes our default system, it becomes our autopilot. So when things that we we hope are gonna go our way don't go our way, uh, when people don't treat us exactly as we think they should treat us, you know, on and on. When life doesn't meet our expectations, we're basically programmed to upset ourselves, and we stress. And as a result of that stress, um, it becomes it, it essentially becomes chronic. You know, most people are experiencing a good deal of stress at least three times a week. That's a lot of stress. And these stress hormones are really damaging to to our physiology. Um, they damage our cardiovascular system. They lead to heart attacks and strokes. They damage our chromosomes, which cause our chromosomes to produce you know, uh, faulty cells, cancer cells, also cells that don't repair our body properly and lead to premature aging. I mean, it's a mess, it's a total mess. And it all maps back to the way that we have been programmed in our society. Our society has stamped into us the belief that happiness and self-worth are found out there in the world And if we work long and hard enough, you know, success is going to come. And out of that, happiness and fulfillment are going to follow. And, you know, we've all swallowed that formula. And 10 years later, we realize that maybe success has come to whatever degree it has, but it's come without that feeling of fulfillment, that feeling of inner peace, of happiness, feeling of a connection with all that is. Well, that's failing at living. And that's a spiritual crisis. And waking up is the realization that contrary to, you know, what society has stamped into our heads that have turned into the way our brains are wired, that nothing, absolutely nothing in the world can make us happy. You know, it's not that success is unimportant. Of course, it's important. But success is not the same as fulfillment. And fulfillment doesn't come from the world. Uh, You can bang your head against that door all you want, and you're going to end up in a midlife crisis, which nowadays is now called the quarter-life crisis, because it's happening to a younger generation, you know, to your generation, Jessica. So happiness doesn't come from the world, not the radiant happiness of a child that's constant, that makes you smile for no reason, that's unconditional, that you have happiness regardless of what's happening outside. Because happiness is something that occurs inside. It comes from within you. And the truth is, when you wake up to it, is that there's not a single moment in our lives when we don't have everything we need right here, right now to be happy. And the only reason we're ever unhappy is because we're focusing on what we don't have. Uh, And as soon as we make that shift, to remembering all the good that we have, all the good that is within us that we also possess. As soon as we make that shift, we're really in a whole new world. We're not seeing the world and ourselves and our work in a distorted way. Um, We're seeing it through a completely different lens, through a, a spiritual lens. And until that shift happens, you know, we're suffering in this spiritual crisis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was so much that you said there. It was, it's interesting because I I like to think of it as we want to control everything, right? Like we want our lives to go according to plan. And the problem is it doesn't. And then, you know, you're layering on top of that, this kind of this formula, right? Like if I acquire XYZ, I will be happy, right? I feel like that's, that's the programming, right? Like when I achieve this level of success, then I will become happy. Is that kind of feeding into that that dialogue? Do you feel? Um,
0: and that, and you know what that's called? Is it called an attachment? And an attachment, you know, the Buddha said, the source of all suffering is attachments. Well, what is an attachment? Well, attachment is the false belief that without this person, so you know, like you were just saying, everybody's when I get my soulmate, then I'll be happy, and you know. Six years later they're in divorce court, right? <laughs> Divorcing their salvate. So the an attachment is this belief that without this person or this possession or achieving this outcome, I cannot be happy. Mm-hmm. And and again, it, it's in the face of the truth that right here, right now, you possess everything you need within yourself to be happy. And the only reason you're unhappy is that you're focusing on those attachments you have that you don't have, and it, you know this doesn't mean that we don't. Um, this doesn't mean we have to renounce the world, the material world. Um, nobody's saying that. None of the mystics are, are saying that at all. You know, you you enjoy the material world. You you enjoy the successes that you achieve. Um, you just don't make the mistake of thinking that as you achieve this success or, you know, get a hold of that brand new car or have get that promotion that, or have an outcome with this sales program you're in, that that is that holds the source of your happiness. It doesn't, you know? So again, one uses the material world, one enjoys it, one enjoys their successes, um, but they don't make your happiness depend on the material world. And you know, the irony is that, when you're detached from the material world as you pursue success, you actually enjoy the process of work much more uh, than when you believe your self-worth and your inner peace and and your basic happiness depend on the outcome. And so, you know, there is a mountain of research that's been there for a very long time that shows that happiness is what leads to success, not the other way around. This sense of fulfillment is what produces the kind of emotional and fluid intelligence that has the capacity to generate a successful outcome. And the thing is, is that, you know, if you're detached from from your attachment, if you let go of your attachment, if you succeed, great, wonderful. But if you fail, your happiness and self-worth are not at stake. And in fact, you're much more likely, if you do fail, to really learn from that failure and for that failure then to be that learning experience from that failure to be the thing that moves you catapults you forward you know the the famous statement from the head of ibm uh watson senior he said to his employees be sure you make plenty of mistakes because out of mistakes comes innovation you know we learn well if somebody's stressed out and afraid of failing those mistakes shut them down instead of opening them up to to the learning process that that they're being invited into.
1: Yeah, no, that's so interesting. I'm curious, what are your thoughts in terms of like really actioning on that idea? Because I think it's like we hear that in theory, right? That like if we can find greater happiness, then and not be so attached to the outcome, like that's what we want. But how do you actually put that into practice?
0: Well, the first thing I invite people to do is to sit down with a blank piece of paper and at the top of it, make a heading that says, um, I cannot be happy until or unless and begin to make the list of what those things are. You know, I was, I was working with a woman today, uh, actually a friend of mine, an old friend of mine. She's just been diagnosed, um, uh, with cancer. In one part of my uh, career, I worked with people. Uh, I worked with people dealing with AIDS, people dealing with cancer. I worked in uh, the prisons with men serving life sentences. Uh, the agency I was in was even sent off to Croatia and Bosnia during that all war to work with refugees. And um, what I learned from all of those experiences is that there's this assumption we have that, under certain circumstances like cancer like war um like the loss of a loved one that uh we're completely blocked uh if not uh for a long time even permanently from being happy but you can be happy even in those situations you can find that glimmer of happiness that hides inside your your heart and so this woman that i was with today she uh was diagnosed with stage four cancer and um she was remarkable because um, she basically said, I, you know, I've come to the conclusion that even though I have this cancer and I would just as soon it go away, it's opened me up in so many ways. It's opened my heart in so many ways. I'm living in the present moment more than I ever have before in my life. I Even in the midst of all of this, I'm finding happiness in this situation. And the happiness is... The happiness. I've always had this in my heart, and so it's very important to understand that as you look at this list, you're looking at your list of attachments, and you're looking at the reasons why you stress, why you suffer, why you feel depressed. Um, this list—it's this list of things. So I cannot be happy unless my boss. Appreciates me. I cannot be happy until my spouse or partner agrees with me. I cannot be happy until uh, the interest rates go down and I can buy myself a home. The list goes on and on. People make it pretty fast. So that's the first thing I would invite people to do in the way of an action taking. And then just to sit back when they've made that list and consider that what I've just said, that this is a major source of my suffering in life, a major source of my stress, a major source of my fear of failure, a major source of the depression that I go in and out of. Um, it's a great awakening uh, to do that. And then, you know, it begs the question, um, how did I get this way? <laughs> you know, And it's an important question to ask. And the, the answer is, you know, I gave just, briefly um a few moments ago is that you've been programmed to to believe this you've been programmed to, to believe that your happiness depends on circumstances that they depend on how you do in the world that who you are and your worth as a human being depends on the level of su- success you achieve and it's just a, a source of immense pain for a lot of people um you know, people are out there really wanting to have you know quote unquote have it all i want to have it all because they think out of that comes comes their their happiness and the irony is that's not the the right definition for having it all having it all means to attain outer success that's as i said it's certainly important but with inner fulfillment and you know it's something that that we're capable of that and but it's something many people have lost, which is that innate capacity to flourish inwardly and outwardly at the same time so you don't end up in a quarter life midlife crisis. So you know we lost that capacity we our our culture programmed it out of us starting when we were little kids um so we ended up with two operating systems inside our head, inside our brain, two natures so to speak, And one we were given, we were born with. There's plenty of science and research behind it. Um, And the other one, we learn, we were socialized with. And this learn system uh, blocks that spiritual nature that we were born with. Uh, And it creates a spiritual crisis that often comes after years, as I said, of working, working really hard out there in the world. We find ourselves asking, why don't I feel happier? Why don't I feel more at peace with myself? Why are my relationships with with my loved ones, why aren't they flourishing like I, I imagined they would? Why am I still stressed all the time? Why do I still feel insecure? Why do I still crave people's approval? Um, you know, where's this fulfillment society promised would come after all this effort? And, you know, it can really make a person feel empty. And you know Tony Robbins, he's got that famous quote that success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure because you know it's failing at living, and the failure is not our fault. We were programmed into a false belief system, indoctrinated into it from early on. But the interesting thing about it is that you don't have to earn fulfillment. You don't have to acquire fulfillment. Um, not the constant, enduring, joyful. Loving kind. And the reason is because you have it already. It's your first nature. You were born with it. You're just blocked from knowing it. And this state of ful- fulfillment has gotten lost in the pursuit of f- fulfillment. That's the biggest irony of all for human beings. So we were born fulfilled. We were born happy. We were born with the capacity to be at peace with life exactly as it comes to us. We're born spontaneous and full of wonder plenty of evidence that we have a wonderfully open altruistic heart that these days for so many people stress and fear so so easily close you know we were born beings of immeasurable unconditional worth but often you know we're operating with the belief that we're not good enough and they, and on top of all of that there's this reality of love this reality of joy within us and surrounding us that's there to make our life full and precious and beautiful but we're blocked from from seeing it
1: yeah i could not agree more and it's i i love that idea that it's like it's already there and it's like we just need to tap into it instead of it having to be this this unknown right i'm curious like because you had talked about this idea of like fear as being kind of like tied into stress can you talk a little bit along those lines
0: yeah, biologically, uh, you don't have a stress reaction, biologically, neurologically, unless some form of fear is present. And when you drill down into it psychologically, uh, I've done this so many times with people, what you find is at the bottom of why somebody is acutely stressed at the moment is uh they're fearing for their survival. Mm. And they're confusing a present moment that's really in and of itself has nothing it threatens your survival in no way shape or form but that as you begin to become afraid your amygdala your fear center of your brain starts pumping out stress hormones and these stress hormones hijack your logic your prefrontal cortex it actually over time shrinks it so that you're beginning to lose IQ, you're beginning to lose your connection to to logic and reason, and so uh, it's e- And and what it has as that shrinks, what happens is is it in the back, in the middle, actually more in the middle, your brain's fear center, amygdala, actually expands, and now you're under the control of it. Your fear reactions turning into stress reactions are causing you a great deal of pain and unhappiness, and it all generates for a human being usually begins in thoughts so we think our way into these tight corners of fear and as we look out from that tight corner what we're imagining we we actually believe are real because we figure it it must be real or i wouldn't be this emotionally charged mm. but the truth is is that the more emotionally charged you are the more stressed you are the more fearful you are the, the more your mind distorts reality. You're not seeing reality at all anymore. You know, you start misperceiving a coiled hose for for a snake, so to speak. Uh, you know, people will talk about walking down the hallway and saying hi to the boss, and the boss is mine somewhere else, and they don't respond, and they go into a, a stress reaction, fearing that maybe their job's at risk, you know? And it's these kinds of misperceptions that drive us into stress reactions. And so again, you know, back to your wonderful question of what kind of action plan can you use to begin to quiet that down, to quiet your brain down? Because as you begin to quiet down, that fear center begins to quiet down because that fear center believes, it's what it's reacting to is that you're out of control. When you're stressed and emotional, you're basically out of control. And you're not logical. You're not reasonable. You're not seeing through it to remedying the situation. And to, to your survival system, that means you're really threatened. You know, something's going to get you. Some saber-toothed tiger is going to hunt you down and get you. And so when that happens, um, you know, you're caught in that. And But as you begin to assert control, self-control, the amygdala begins to calm down because the presence of you being in control means your survival's not at risk. And so how do you do that? How do you assert self-control? And the answer is you have to bring into awareness those negative reactions that are happening in you and not be afraid of them. It's almost like not being afraid of being afraid, not mm-hmm. being stressed by being stressed. And so all you really do, very simple, it's not a lot of fun. But it, it produces great results. You're beginning to have a stress reaction. You know, you can feel the tension in you. You're, it's turning into anger. It's turning into you wanting to attack. Or if you're wired differently, it's turning into you withdrawing. You know, you're, you're pulling back into a little tiny box and in which you're, you're you know, you're stuck in depression, afraid. Uh, you're ruminating. And so you, you allow yourself first to feel it and you you watch it you observe it you're not there to change it you're not there to interfere with it in any way you're just there to watch what's going on and so it's almost like you're watching somebody else go through what you're going through uh, at the same time with allowing the emotional charge to be there to have its valence and so you're watching you can it's almost like you're watching a friend of yours you know freaking out with a, over some fear and you remind yourself in the midst of this, that this reaction, this fear reaction, I'm having a stress reaction, I'm having this depression I'm feeling, is in me. It's not in reality. It's in me. It's in the way in which I've been programming, the way in which that programming wired my brain to upset myself when, you know, I wasn't in control of a situation or the fear the future uh, was looking like it was in question or i wasn't getting what it is that i wanted and i i started getting upset about it and that upset started turning into one emotion or another that was releasing stress hormones that now has me aggravated and you just you just be with it most people what they do is they repress it they push it away they try to escape from it and all that happens is it you know what? What you uh, resist persists. It, I mean, it's absolute truth. And so you do that. You allow yourself to feel it. You remind yourself, this is happening in me, not to me, not in reality. And in fact, what it's doing, it's distorting how I'm seeing reality, and it's distorting how I'm actually seeing myself. And then you just allow yourself to be with it. And then what you will want, what you will see is it passes. Everything passes. Uh, it's a great truth and and it's it's certainly something to put your faith in everything passes we ourselves our being our bodies will eventually pass and nothing passes as as much as emotions and once those emotions pass you've been lifted you've been deposited if you will into an open space you know there's nothing like your 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 thoughts your fear thoughts turning into st- to stressful emotions, to crowd your mind, to crowd your brain. There's there's hardly room to breathe. And as soon as you go through the process of awareness, all all of that clears out of the way. And now you're in this open space. And if you can remain quiet and do nothing for a moment and just be in that open space, what you find is it fills with light and... After that happens to you a few times, you realize that the light that that space filled with is your light. And in that light, you begin to understand that your emotional state is really different when you're in that expansive, empty, uh, light-filled space. Happiness is natural to you. Joy arises all by itself. Peace, uh, it becomes your vibration. And as you look out on the world, you're probably going, wow, my how everything looks different. And it's because now you're seeing reality. You're seeing that there's this divinity uh, of beauty that surrounds you and that's in you. And that's been there the whole time, but because of the way you're programmed to react and upset yourself, you haven't been able to see it. And the more you do this, the quicker you can shift out of those stress reactions, out of those fear reactions.
1: I love that so much. What you were saying there, especially when you're talking about that idea of kind of watching your emotions, it was reminding me of what my uh my teacher talks about as like being the witness, right? So you're taking that back seat and just allowing the emotions to kind of be there, but you're watching it as if you're watching it on a screen. So I thought that was really compelling. But the thing that also I was thinking about is I'm like, that. It's that's such a difficult practice, right? Like a lot of people really are afraid of their emotions, right? That whole like repression that you were talking about. So it definitely is like this practice to be able to sit with it and observe it instead of just trying to push it away or like dig it under the rug, right?
0: Yes, you're right. Uh, you know, it's really important that we remember um, we become consciously aware of words we use, and so uh, oftentimes people say that. I mean, I used to say it. Yeah, being aware in this way, you know, stepping into the fire—that's really difficult. And so I—I I was noticing that every time I stepped into it, uh, the experience I had felt difficult until I realized that that word "difficult" was setting up my mindset for it, yeah. was predetermining the experience that I was going to have, because I came to the conclusion that really the truth is what's difficult is being run by these emotions. What's difficult is living a life of stress that these emotions perpetuate. That's difficult. Stress is difficult. But the doing a process of about one minute of being aware that uh, arrives at And a significant degree of relief from the upset, that's the opposite of difficult. And so I just reframed it. It's not difficult. I wouldn't say it's fun. But you know what ends up happening? The more you do it, the more you begin to change your relationship with those upsetting emotions. You change your relationship with fear or depression or disappointment. You know, and anything, anything that's upsetting, they become your friends. That, uh, as you do the awareness process of tapping you on the shoulder and giving, uh, inviting you into the opportunity of of transcending the the what used to hold you down. Now you're going to rise above it. You know, and so it's like I'll give you an example. I grew up in a in a very dysfunctional, violent family. Tremendous amount of, of abuse. And, um, I came out of that, um, with very low self-esteem. Um, I, you know, I've always been a passionate person, but really never believed I was ever going to get anywhere because that's what I was programmed to believe by my stepfather. He drilled it into my head. You know, he, he said, I would turn gold to crap. He, he said that to me so many times that. That I began to believe it. It encoded in my brain, and I, and it became an unconscious way in which I saw myself, and and I would undermine my success at that time, I'd get, be getting close to success, and I'd be afraid. I'd be afraid that I'm just going to ruin this. You know, I'm going to ruin this relationship. I'm going to ruin this job. I'm you know whatever it was, and so I did a lot of inner work for a lot of years, just like the kind of work you're talking about that you do. And I softened that um way my brain was wired uh, to consider myself not a person of gold but a person of crap. And um it got it got softer, but it didn't go all the way away. And one day I'm walking down the hallway at my in my office, and things are going really well, you know, the books I've I had just written is doing really well. It's selling well got plenty of business, uh, happy at home. You know, life was great. And as I'm walking down the hall, I suddenly get overwhelmed with this feeling of dread. And it it surprised me, you know, in juxtaposition to how well things were going. But it it was really there, you know. I was scared. Uh, Something bad was going to happen. And I wasn't quite sure of where that was coming from. So I went and sat down and brought it into awareness. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's nothing as invisible as the obvious. And what appeared quickly as quite obvious is that sense of dread was coming from the way in which my stepfather programmed me to not believe in myself and to believe that I would ruin any good that I ever created. And so that thought that had wired into a fear that my brain was running at the moment as dread was there for, and I understood it. I understood where it was coming from. So, and I realized that feeling of dread was actually, I'd been, it wasn't the first time that had happened. That had been happening for decades, on and off for decades. I just was unconscious, I would just go with it. Oh my God, right, that's right. Things turn bad, I I better work harder. You know, I better do something to, to keep the wolves away. When in fact, there was no wolves, except the only wolf was the one that my stepfather put in my head. So now when that comes up, and that happened years ago, but now when that comes up, I see it right away. I go, ah, there you are. And I sit down and I sit with it. Now I only have to sit with it for like 20 seconds and it's gone. And I'm back to positive, back to being happy and positive. That's what awareness will do for you. You begin to uncover things that you didn't know were running you, that were running you and painting you into those tight corners where you couldn't see your way out. You begin to see it, understand where it's coming from. So much of it is coming from the way we've been socialized. And then, you know, you forgive it. You forgive the society for socializing you that way. Uh, And then you allow yourself to move on. It's so like that's just how it works. It's that simple. Uh and you know you, you shouldn't confuse simple with easy. Simple and easy aren't the same thing, but simple is simple. I mean this awareness process is so simple a, a 10-year-old child could understand it.
1: Yeah. No, that's incredible. I mean I think there is so much truth to being able to see like what is really coming up for you. Like why why is it that you're getting triggered and upset by something and then being able to look beyond beneath the surface and see, oh, that's this story that I've been telling myself on repeat over and over again, that is just invading this moment. Right.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly.
1: Amazing. Um, I am actually curious from that idea, though. So, you know, as much as we would like to just completely transform internally, you know, do you feel like there is a certain amount of needing to make external changes as well? Or what is what are your thoughts around that?
0: Well, you know, as you begin to um, quiet down these upsets that distort um, the way you see yourself in the world, um, you, you do become uh, smarter, more astute. Um, mm-hmm. Your judgment is better. And so what, you know, people stay, for example, in abusive relationships um, because they, their their self-esteem is such as they believe they deserve it. Mm-hmm. And so when they have a breakthrough with that, when they break through and, and, and begin to understand what's driving them, you know, what's controlling them, a way in which they were programmed and the way in which that program wired them, they begin to understand that things begin to calm down for them literally their brain begins to calm down and um the absolute reverse happens to your brain that from what i described before remember before i said that as you're stressing uh, as those fear thoughts turn into stress reactions and dump these stress hormones into your brain, it shrinks your higher brain, the prefrontal cortex, and expands your lower brain, the thing that's setting off fight, fight, or freeze. And so now you're you're pretty well trapped in an autopilot that's, that's uh, not good for you. But as you break through using awareness and things begin to calm down, the reverse happens and it's, it's called sprouting. And what happens is, your uh, prefrontal cortex, the place of intelligence, creativity, uh, logic, it begins to expand. The fear uh, m- s- neurocircuitry begins to shrink. They call it shrinking. So it's sprouting and shrinking. It's called, uh, excuse me, it's called pruning. Sprouting and pruning. And you see clearly. And now you're looking at a relationship um, or a job, you know, or a set of circumstances that you're in. and you're saying enough, enough of this, this uh, staying here is unloving to me. I'm moving on Um, because you're no longer controlled by the horrible way you were programmed into believing things about yourself and what, and your deservedness of good things. Um, you're no longer believing the negative w- way you were oriented to yourself and, and, And it drops. It just doesn't serve you anymore to to do that. Right. When one has entered the realm, at that point, you're entering the realm of love, which is essentially coming home to yourself. The essence of our being is love. And it gets blocked by fear. And so, you know, when one has fully entered that realm of, of love, the world, no matter how imperfect, uh, becomes rich and beautiful to you, consisting solely in opportunities for love, to love, to be love, to give love. Uh, and who walk through those doors to enter the realm of love would make a decision that was wholesale unloving towards themselves. They wouldn't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like that's the thing. It's so, it's like the pouring into your own cup and finding your own self-worth just kind of naturally causes you to make those external changes is what it sounds like, right?
0: Yes. They become obvious, possible. They move actually from being pr- possible to being probable. I, I can see it. I can see my way through all this. I can see my way through to another life. Now what I need to do is to exercise Something called courage, and to move in that direction.
1: So, what do you feel like co- helps people create more courage? Then,
0: uh, that's a good question. You know, I I, I think it, it's it's going to come out of out of you really want something more than than what you're stuck in, and you're, you're you're willing to put yourself on the line for it. You know that, you know, I got a brain tumor. I know. I, I, I don't mean to put myself up as the poster child for a, a wholesome spiritual life. I've been through a lot, believe me. I made it. every mistake there is to make. Uh, and it took a brain tumor to wake me up. That's how stubborn uh, and and fearfully ingrained I was. So I get this brain tumor. And I'm also at the, the height of my career at that point. I'm at Stanford University Medical School. I got a great job. I'm really young, you know, my 30s in a position that you know most people had in their 50s. Everybody thinks I'm a big deal. You know, I've got, my everybody approves of me finally. And I buck heads with the chairman of my department one too many times. And he had had enough, you know, as a young Turk, and he fired me. Mm-hmm. And nine days later, after that, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And I was married, had four kids and a mortgage. And what I was facing was abject poverty, abject ruin. uh you know, it was a it was a a very long fall. And one night in the middle of the night, uh walking pacing the floor, you know, uh, I somehow, a question came into my head, What's worse? The fear or the situation is basically what I'm trying to say. And it, I don't know why it was obvious to me, but it was obvious to me is that the fear was worse. You know, the si- situation was kind of neutral. It's what it is. I got a brain tumor. I'm out of work, you know? I don't know what's going to happen. But what, what's making that so terrifying is th- the way I'm thinking about it and the emotional upheaval is creating in me. And so, you know, I began to practice this awareness process. I, I was taught this awareness process um by a really renowned teacher a, a great psychologist and um I, and I would actually taught it to other people but I never used it on myself you know and here I was like boy we better put this to practice so I began to let myself feel all the fear that I was in and all the dread that I felt about my future um, all the discouragement, all the shame I felt at having failed at my job and then failed in my health and how that was failing my family. I let it all out. I let it all up. And I just wrote it like a, a surfer rides a wave. And after doing that for, for about an hour, it was like that wave I was riding dropped me off at shore. And it passed. All those emotions passed. And I was free for that moment. And in that freedom, I had that experience of expansion, an experience of light. And then the thoughts started coming back again, you know, and there I was back down in the dungeon and I went through the awareness process and came out of it. And I decided there and then at that moment. Um, well, it took, I went through that process about three more times. And then I arrived at this place where I actually was at peace. I was at peace with everything. It was a, it was like a miracle, and um, I loved it, and I and I wanted it. I wanted that way more than anything else, and I didn't want any more fear. It was killing me, uh, and um, I made up my mind right then and there. I had I had six weeks before the surgeon. Sometimes at Stanford, I could get the best surgeon, and so he wasn't available for six weeks. And so, I had six weeks to get my head together. And I made uh, a decision that I was going to let go of fear whenever it raised its ugly head in this very simple way of being aware of when it was raising its head and allow some kind of grace to deliver me to the promised land of, of feeling at peace, feeling okay, feeling that all was well. And I did it. I made it all the way through. I wasn't given a very good prognosis. I completely beat the odds. And it was, and I'm certain that it was a mind-body connection that I established just in that simple process during that time. And lo and behold, I got my job back because the Department of Psychiatry, the head of the Department of Psychiatry, had heard about this guy over in medicine who had lost his job and got this brain tumor and was this kind of beamy light around the university. I, I continued to work in my job to to finish it and get my golden parachute they're going to give me, so I was around, and he'd heard about me, and he invited me to come over, and he offered me a job. He, he said, "We need our my department needs your kind of attitude in it, so I want you to come in here and vibrate that attitude all over the place." I got my job back, but you know, I was in that job for two years, and I realized that I had seen something about the nature of, of human existence and how beautiful it could be. And how much you could overcome. Uh, and that I wasn't going to be able to fully um learn about that and, and and be an agent of that in the world, uh staying at Stanford. And so I um I reached this point where I realized if I didn't resign my position, 20 years would come and go and I'd still be there. And this path that had opened up to me would be gone, would have disappeared. So that day I resigned my position and uh you know kind of felt the economics for the next year were pretty hard but I my life made that transition to do that kind of work which is why I'm here talking to you you know if if I hadn't done that you know I, I would wouldn't be a guest on your show I wouldn't be invited on your show well that, that took a lot of courage to do that but it, that courage came from uh wanting my life to be different. And I was willing to sacrifice whatever I had to sacrifice uh, to do it. And I think everybody has that courage, but they got to get to the point where they see the, the misery that they're living in um, based on the belief system that they're indoctrinated with. Once they see that and get through that, then the way, the way is clear. And then, of course, it does take courage to walk away from certain things. But you find that the, the you got the motivation your heart longs for you to take that step and move away
1: wow such an incredible story and you know I'm I'm so happy to hear that everything turned around in the way it did and and it is such a testament to all the work that you've been doing you know after that right and being able to step off that path it's it really is something um and it it definitely, I relate to it a lot as someone that's kind of gone through, I I've been through the quarter life crisis as you called it and um, come out on the other side. So it is really remarkable the way that courage really kind of, I don't know, it's it is almost like it bubbles up inside of you when you see that you're you're meant to do more. So yeah. Thank you for sharing all that.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to to what was going on inside of you that Moved your life in to put you in a position where you're doing the work you're doing right now, and because it's so important, the work that you're doing, it's not only it's not only important to you; it's important to the world, you know. And you know, just, it's a realignment. Uh, you know, people think fear protects them. That's one of the first things that I understood is that I'm in all this fear, and because I believe if I'm not afraid, I'm going to miss a step, and the world's going to crush me. And, and then I realized that it's fear that's gonna make me miss a step. <laughs> that's exactly it, it's not gonna protect me from this step. Um, I mean, there is the fear reactions that we have that do save our lives. That's why we have that fear center in our brain. It's good for five minutes so that if you're in, you face a real and present danger, like a bear walks into your camp, you know, or you're threatened in some real way, uh, you, you get the surge of energy that enables you to do incredibly heroic things that you couldn't do otherwise. And then it's only good for five minutes and then it exhausts itself. But the problem we're having is that what's setting off fear reactions is not real and present danger. It's just thoughts that we scare ourselves with thoughts. We imagine threats that don't exist. And then we organize our, our life around protecting ourselves from this non-existent threat and it creates it creates a lot of misery. It it disrupts relate our ability to relate, and and so the it becomes a question of well, what does protect me? Well, what's the opposite of fear? And the answer is love. And you know, spirituality says that with love, all is well, even if things seem like they're a mess, all is still well. Like there, I was complete emotional mess, f- physically mess. My brain was in a mess. My career was in a mess, and and yet I found my way by through grace to a place in which I was operating as if all was well. And if you reflect on that for a moment, with love, all is well, even if things are a mess. Even would that be for the average person? All is well, even if you got more debt that than you think you should have. All is well even if you and the one you love are struggling around some issue. All is well if you didn't get the promotion that would have given you the money to buy a better house. All is still well. And that same love, that same beauty, is the very essence of your being. And, you know, as the great Sufi poet uh, told us, Rumi, Rumi said, your task is not to seek for love, but to merely seek and find all the barriers built against it. Love is what you are. Love is what's being blocked. And through awareness, you begin to remove brick by brick the, the blocks. Mm-hmm. And then when you get enough blocks down, you, what you're looking at is this world of dazzling light that makes you smile for no reason. And that you're and you know, you're, you've come back to the innocence of a child which doesn't mean you're behaving like a child but the innocence of a child that innocence that has that fills you with wonder and makes you really creative and doesn't compare yourself to other people you know and isn't trying to prove yourself to anybody and you know they gets knocked down and as soon as they hear the sound of fun is back on their feet running towards the fun you know that's what I'm talking about that I, and we should ask ourselves how much of that Innocence of a child is still operating in us because it's in us. It's our nature. And we should give in to it, give over to it, you know, when it flits by, when it rises up in our heart. And then it too will pass. Everything passes, even that. Uh, But it leaves behind this kind of stardust that will carry us through a whole day, will carry us through a whole illness, like my friend I was talking to today.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. I, I, the imagery of all that was really like, I was just like sparking so much in me. I was giving me chills. Yeah. I, you know, I, I wish your friend all the best, you know, and, and I, it sounds like her outlook on all that is just glowing. So it's really beautiful to see that ability to kind of take those difficult moments and be able to transcend the external circumstances
0: you're so right you know and she is she is able to do that i kept pointing pointing out to her uh how beautiful her perspective was and you know the important the reason i bring her up is that she's an ordinary person you know she hasn't written any books she's been a mom and she worked for the phone department and she raised two beautiful daughters and she's got five lovely grandchildren and uh, and lots of friends because she's one of these very gregarious lovely people so and then she gets hit with this stage four cancer which is a very unhappy diagnosis if you relate to it uh, as 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 something that's defeated you and she's not doing that and this is just, in, so when you say, you know, some people will say what you and I are talking about, about here, you know, around here, Jessica, they'll say, well, you know, only special people will do that. People who, who got lucky and had an epiphany. And that's not true. There are people who are like this. And we are like this when we remove the blocks. You know, Victor Frankl is an incredible uh, uh, model of that. He was an Austrian Jew. And he and his family were dragged to Nazi concentration camps, where where his parents and his brother and his wife, his newly wedded wife, they all died. He survived it. He spent three years in a concentration camp, and he eventually, got, uh, you know, outlasted the Holocaust. and And he wrote a masterpiece book called *Man's Search for*, for Reason, and I really recommend it to people. And there's this passage in it where he talks about something to do with it. as the inner life of the prisoner tended to become more intense um he you know with the conditions that he was under, that the prisoner also experienced the beauty of nature as they'd never experienced before and under under the in, the influence of this intensity, this beauty, they Franco said they actually began to forget their frightful circumstances, at least for the moment. You know, he said if someone had seen their faces on the journey that when they went from Auschwitz to Bavaria, as they were looking through, you know, the bobbed wired windows out at the mountains of of Salzburg, um, where, you know, the summits, he said the summits were glowing in the sunset. He said he would, no one would ever have believed that these were the faces of men who, who had given up all hope ever being free again all hope of ever having a normal happy life and yet despite that factor or maybe because of it they were carried away by nature's beauty well that's what that is is that's the heart that resonates in us our heart never dies and when it resonates it it's an amazing thing <laughs> it can it can uh, transcend even what victor frankl was talking about and he is when he'd give lectures at harvard and stanford uh people would say well they put him on a pedestal oh you're such a great man he would get really angry at him and he'd say you're calling me a great man because you're just wanting to abdicate your responsibility to transcend what you need to transcend in your life and i'm here to tell you through my stories that you have the you have the capacity to do that So don't put me on a pedestal to get away from your responsibility to do it. Make the choices you need to make to transcend the unhappiness that you're living in, you know? I mean, it's incredible stories that ordinary people, and at that time, Franco was an ordinary person.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh, that is such an important point, right? That it is available to each and every single one of us. So thank you for that point, absolutely. Um, I want to be cognizant of your time. So is there anything else that you want that we haven't covered off on that you want to share?
0: Sure. Um, If people want to get more into what you you and I are talking about, they can buy my book, uh, Amazon, The End of Stress. It's been there a long time, so I I think it's much cheaper than it used to be. And I'd also recommend to people that they visit um, a website called it's DeMello, D-E-M-E-L-L-O, DeMelloCenter.com. It's the uh, official uh, website for Anthony DeMello, one of the great spiritual mystics of the 20th century. All the great mystics of our time have celebrated him. Eck- Eckhart Tolle, Aitchesante, e- even Tim Ferriss, you know, the the podcaster. Um He has an amazing teaching for all of us. And uh, you you can visit it for free. And there's um, podcasts there of of Tony DeMello speaking. There's a blog. Uh, There's just a lot of stuff that you can drop into that uh, really is everything we've been talking about here today. So I invite you to go there, deMelloCenter.com.
1: Absolutely. I'll include that in the show notes for anyone that wants to take a look. Um, so yeah, let's get into our final questions then. Okay. All right. So the first question is: How would you describe your current relationship with yourself?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, one of the one of the major blocks that I have to work at removing is self is is self esteem is self worth because of what I told you about my me and my stepfather, my stepfather and I. Uh, eventually healed our relationship. But uh, but once those traumas get wired into your emotional brain, they're always there to work with. But I've reached the point, maybe I would say I've reached a halfway point where I've chipped enough away of that belief that I, I'll ruin anything, that any good that comes my way and, or any good that I create, I will eventually ruin it, you know, because I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes, you know. So I think I'm about halfway there. And so one of the things I do, there's this lesson in a course in miracles that I've been practicing a lot over the last six months. And it starts with the thought that my mind is part of God's. I am very holy. And so the first time I read read that, that part of me, this program, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna ruin everything that's uh, of any good, bumped into that and went, Oh no, that's not true of me. I, it was amazing to watch because it, just as I was opening up to it, it crashed in. and said, no, nah, no, nah, that's not for you, man. That's not true about you. True, it may be everybody else, but not you. And then the the lesson goes to the next step, which is I see myself as. The Course of Miracles wants you to be very specific, to locate a situation. Don't let it be abstract. I see myself as unworthy. Well, what does that mean? You know? but you see yourself in a situation where you were acutely aware of how painful it felt to feel unworthy relative to this situation or in the company of that person you know you put yourself in that situation i see myself as uh being treated unfairly i see myself as being disregarded i see myself as com- uh, getting close but no cigar you know mm-hmm. And you begin to get a picture of these thoughts that are very strong in you. Pretty obvious have you get a collection of them. No wonder I'm unhappy in those situations. I mean, you could possibly think that and not not get upset. And then it it has you counter that with my mind is part of God's and I'm very holy. And as I began to do that over time, that I am part of God, I'm very, actually, it's turned into a vibration. So now when I say it, it it's, it, you know, it, it's really hard to describe a spiritual, it's impossible to describe a spiritual experience, but the best I could do is to say, I say it now, and I can just feel this thing open up, extending out for me. And it feels, it It feels quite lovely. And, um, and I'm beginning to believe it.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. So
0: yeah. So that's my practice right now and how I'm doing. And that's how I'm doing. I'm making progress.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. It's so beautiful. So, okay. Next question, which maybe this would be the same answer, but I'm curious if you have a different answer is what is something that you are currently working on?
0: Oh, I'm currently working on, well, I've been working on for two, two decades is a book about what happened to me in my life when i i went to stanford and got that job and you know rose to the top and and when it all came tumbling down and how i initially reacted to all of that and then how it, it progressed as i was saying this how the story progressed and how when i went for a different experience it took a risk you know where i ended up and i ended up uh, in, extraordinary, in an extraordinary place. Not so much in myself, but in, I was at the Center for Attitudinal Healing for 12 years, and uh, it was an extraordinary experience to be around people who are facing some of the most stressful situations anybody ever faces and meeting it with love and helping each other under and coming to the understanding that the problem isn't my illness. The problem isn't this war. The problem is the fear that's in me and letting that go and, and allowing to love their loving nature to arise in and of itself. I learned so much from those people. And so this book, all of those experiences and I'm about three quarters of the way through it. I'm hoping to finish it. <laughs> I've said this so many times, I'm hoping to finish it by the end of the year, <laughs> That many, many years, but this year I might make it.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Well, we will be looking forward to that—the release of this next book.
0: <laughs> oh, it's going to be called Simple Faith. Amazing. Simple Faith.
1: All right. So, next question is: What do you consider most valuable to you right now?
0: Um. Well, love. Mm-hmm. I say, my family, my friends, my work. Bring you know the most important thing the thing i consider most valuable is my capacity to choose to bring love to whatever i'm doing you know and to to uh have faith that as i accept whatever there is there to accept in the moment to accept what is you know without an argument without an upset and and to meet it with love to meet it with meeting it with love meeting it with faith is the same thing to me and so that's what's most important to me right now. And, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, they get this idea because, you know, I'm, I talk about all these things that my day is just this light-filled, blissing out kind of thing. And so, you know, they people might ask, well, how often do you bring love to every situation you're in? How often do you are you able to do that? And they say, I only fail now maybe a thousand times a day. <laughs> Or it used to be a million. That's not as bad as a thousand. That's yes, I I can almost hear uh, uh something, something telling me that's nonsense. Well, okay, I would say fifty times a day, fifty.
1: Yeah, which it's, is a
0: huge improvement. You know,
1: right, right. Yeah, there's no such thing as perfection in it. It's not like we we suddenly are just perfect and blissed out at all times of the day. So it's it's a good reminder.
0: Yes. You know, enlightenment for me is uh, the quicker that you make the shift from fear to love. So, you know, some circumstance comes up that makes you unhappy, you know? This didn't turn out the way it should have or the way I wanted, or I wasn't treated, you know, now you're upset, right? And, And then your brain is making up a story. A narrative about it right and it's the same old it's a narrative of misery and so and you're almost halfway to being completely seduced by it right and then you you catch it awareness by being open to the feeling you catch it you catch it from going further and then you shift it and so maybe you shift it takes you uh three days to shift it Maybe it takes you three months it used to take me a year to shift it so you get it down to three months then you get it down to three weeks then you get it down to three days then you get it down to three seconds and if you get it down to 0.3 seconds you're in, you're totally enlightened. but all the way coming down bringing it down, you are a lot, you are giving yourself the experience of your higher self you you are choosing your way back into your higher self in which all is well. In which uh, you're in touch with a great power to shape shift whatever is going on, you know? And so that's what I, that's another thing I'm working on. I'm trying to get it down, get it down, get it down to the shift happening quicker and quicker and quicker. And that's what awareness will give you. That's what it gives you. That's why you should do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And I don't know any other, what's more powerful than be, being able to do that?
1: That's the journey in and of itself, right?
0: That's exactly right. It, it is for me.
1: All right. So, what is the best lesson that you've learned recently?
0: That's a good one. It's kind of hard to explain, but it, it was it, it kind of astounded me. So I I delve pretty deeply into mystics and into psychology and into neuroscience, and everybody has opinions there. You know, everybody has theories there. And I'm one of the things that I have kind of a gift of doing is I can integrate them. I can see where they, they, they meet at crossroads and, and that crossroads illuminates something that's worth, worth, uh, shining a light on. And so in integrating it, I discovered last week, just discovered this last week that what I think of I don't. I'm not thinking so much in terms of what is true for me. I'm trying to get right what is these people's theory and to integrate them properly. And I felt and and I and I reached this state of this minor state of confusion, and where I had to say, but I'm not now. I know all these theories. Which one of them are really true for me? And those are the ones I should be writing about, you know. And I uh, I decided I have to I have to drop out and just ask myself what's true for me and not try to answer it let 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 grace answer it for me and i've come up with three three things that are true for me and and they're so new to me i i couldn't remember to tell you i i wrote them down but they're new to me but they're so new that um and i i don't want to intellectualize them cuz that's has nothing to do with understanding right yeah so that's uh, what I'm working on lately.
1: Oh, I love that. I, I love that because it's true. We we go and we like learn from all these different sources, millions of things, but then it still has to come back to what actually is true for you.
0: Oh, and, so, so. and when so. that's here, it's sort of like everything becomes your teacher. You know, every moment your teacher. It's not this one theory and how does it connect up to this and is this developing a hierarchy? And um, no, you know the 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 leaf blown across the street that, that shimmers. You know, it's, it's a beautiful teacher when it when it captures you and stops you. You know, in your rat race movement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, how would you describe or define your purpose?
0: Coming out of Stanford and heading off into the unknown, all I wanted to be was as much. For as many people as I could. And I didn't even know what that meant. But I, what I had been through, and there were people um, who helped me enormously get through that period. I wouldn't have gotten through it without those people. They taught me, they loved me, they um, held me, all of that sort of thing. So when I was coming out of it, they had created a model in my heart of what I wanted to do, and in and doing it i wanted it whatever i did to be as much for as many people as possible cuz i think i think our world needs everybody wanting to do that We've got to help each other along but as it ram Dass says we're all walking each other home you know
1: absolutely so i want
0: to i want to walk uh with people as we walk each other home
1: beautiful i love that all right your final question is what is the number one skill you believe that everyone should work on?
0: Opening their heart. Because if your heart's closed, you suffer. And that's why it's really important to be aware when you're suffering. Uh, sure, sure as heck, your heart's closed. And, you know, I had a very beautiful, powerful holy man tell me that he said, if we understood that in all the universe, one of its most beautiful, greatest creations of all eternity was the human heart. He said people would value it, and I think it's—I think women are are really clear about that, much more than men. You know, so awareness is really important because when when you're in fear, when you're suffering, when you're upset, your heart's closed. You know, and and you're doing. Some degree of violence on yourself that you might very well project onto somebody else. You know, violence has a way of the violence you do to yourself you project. And so, be be attentive to your heart, treat it with tender, loving care, and and it'll it'll reward you. It'll it'll give you the greatest gift of all, uh, which is the gift you were given. This human heart is this enormous gift. It can figure out anything that the brain can never figure out. The brain, the brain and the intellect—they look at the heart and they think it's stupid, you know. And it, well, you know, there goes the heart again, you know. And the heart has got an enormous intelligence, you know. The heart and the stomach, the gut, have more neurons than they ever imagined. They have their, their whole neural system, their whole brain system themselves. So, so lean into it, lean into your heart.
1: I love that. All right. Well, Don, I literally could talk to you for hours on end (laughs) and it's been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. So um, is there anywhere that you want anyone to go to, like if they want to reach out to you?
0: Well, they can reach out to me if they go to my website, theendofstressbook.com and they can leave a message for me there.
1: All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much again for this wonderful conversation. It's been incredibly enlightening.
0: You're a real light of the world, Jessica. You <laughs> really are. Thank you so much. I thank appreciate you're it. Doing. Thank All right. you. Peace to you and peace to everybody out there.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of A Way of Thinking. I hope it has been a source of inspiration and guidance as you continue to navigate your path towards greater inner peace and purpose. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback helps us reach more seekers like you. And for those of you who are ready to take a deeper dive into your journey, I invite you to book a dream job discovery session with me, your host, Jessica Huang. It's an opportunity for us to explore how you can bring greater meaning and purpose into your career and life. Simply visit jessicahuangcoaching.com and schedule your session today. Remember, the power to create the life you desire resides within you, and I'm here to support you every step of the way. Until next time, embrace the journey, cultivate your inner peace, and never stop seeking your
0: true purpose.